welcome to the WRSU crew, the revolutionary show to hear all things sports, from your very own Rutgers Athletics to the hot topics in all professional and collegiate sports from around the globe, coming to you from your own Rutgers students. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride with the crew. Happy Election Day here on from the WRSU crew, Tuesday edition, Jake Schmid, Chris Sikonis, Dylan Allen. How are you guys doing today on this Election Day evening? I'm doing good. Um, you know, just trying to hang in there. And After a tough loss last night against the Giants, I was a little upset, but yeah, I just did some homework today. Uh, studied a little bit. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I've got an exam in 36 hours, so I'm kind of, well, not exactly 36 hours. I don't have a 6 a.m. exam, but um, I'm kind of studying right now because I've got an exam coming up on Thursday. So um, I've got a couple other things going in my mind that aren't election related. So a little all over the place right now. Which uh, class is that for? Is that an econ class? International econ, yes. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, it's interesting until you have to study for it. Then it's not interesting, but, you know. It is what it is. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, well, it's that time, right? It's, uh, I guess, the tail end of midterms, if you call it, if you call it that. It's like second midterm season. Because, like, if you have a class where there's two midterms and a final, like, this is right around when the second midterm is. So, okay. You know, most professors didn't put them on election week because they weren't supposed to. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, what are you going to do? But I... I want to start first with the show at um as we always do um with Rutgers football and that uh that devastating loss to Indiana which I kind of thought there was going that they weren't going to uh overcome Chris Indiana jumped to uh number 13 in the uh top 25 ranking they jumped about 8 spots um up there. Yeah. They're legit. Like they can throw the football, they can run the football. Uh, their defensive line was very intimidating, and you know, Scarlet Knights had problems with it. So, yeah, Indiana's a legit football team. Like I, I, like, I mean, Ohio State is probably going to win the conference, but Indiana, you know, especially with all the uncertainty around Wisconsin, they they're making a real case for the second best team in the conference right now. Yeah, they are, and I, I want to touch on um, some of the uh, the Ohio State game coming up. The spread that I've seen. You know, some of them are saying 37, 38 about uh, spread difference for Rutgers and Ohio State. Um, we know the last time they met um, at SHI Stadium, Ohio State came away with a 56 to 21 um, win. But it's the same similar Ohio State team with Justin Fields um, under center. Um, but different look Rutgers team. And of course, Chiano being the former Ohio State defensive coordinator, you know, what are you guys really gauging of uh, scheme wise? Maybe Chiano brings some Ohio State defense against Ohio State, maybe? Well, I mean, it's going to be tough uh, for him to, you know, have the same caliber of defense just because Ohio State's defense is like next level talented. Um, but I, I do expect the Knights to come out pretty strong defensively. Hopefully they can force a turnover or two. Um, you know, the defense, I think can play well enough to keep them in the game going into halftime at least. Um, the offense is going to be the real X factor here because the offense, you know, if they turn over the ball anywhere like they did against Indiana, they're not going to have a chance to keep up. You cannot be giving Ohio State uh, short fields to work with on their uh, offensive possessions and good field position from interceptions because um, that's going to cost you. So Knights have to really clean up on the offensive end, no turnovers, move the ball. 
you know, play smart football because that was what really made the Indiana game as wide as it was. Their defense, I think, played well enough to win that game. Yeah, I hate to say it too. I I think it's just going to be a total beatdown right from the start. Oh yeah. Defensively, we've been playing pretty well defensively, but I just I think that we're outmatched in terms of what Ohio State brings offensively to the table. You know, Justin Fields, um, and they got a bunch of receivers, running backs. They have the whole thing. Their first strings could be, you know, their third strings could start on Rutgers, basically. So it's just I think we're totally outmatched here. You know, I just want to see some. Maybe some good drives out of Noah Vedral. Maybe they drive the ball down, they score a touchdown, they look good for one drive, or you know, defense forces a turnover. Stuff like that is what I am encouraged to see, and I what I want to see because I know they're not going to win. So as long as they can take away some good things from that game, uh, we might be in a good spot to go forward. Yeah, and you mentioned the receivers, Dylan, and two of the receivers for Ohio State had over 110 yards against Penn State. They won against Penn State last Saturday in Halloween, 38-25, to and one of those guys that really stood out was Chris Olave, 120 yards, two touchdowns. He caught two touchdowns from Justin Fields. Fields threw for four, um, and then Garrett Wilson threw for 111, or caught 111 yards, but um, Jeremy Ruckert, caught two touchdowns. He only had 25 yards, so they have a lot of guys who can do a lot of uh, special things with their legs. Um, and I think that that's the really the interesting thing to keep in mind is these receiving core, right? Rutgers didn't really only really face from my end when me and Raj Shaw were calling the game. I really just noticed Boop Fillier getting a lot of ca- uh, touches and then uh, Hayden shot, Hunter Hayden shot, uh, getting the tight end, getting some carries. But Ohio State has a lot of guys who can make plays, and that is really going to test this Rutgers secondary with, like, Avery Young, Trey Avery. Brendan White is definitely going to have to keep making game-high tackles in this game uh, as well. Yeah, I just think it comes down to Justin Fields and the, and the quarterback play because, let's be honest, that whole team, they have all the chemistry that you can imagine. Oh, yeah. They've been playing lights out all year, and they go into Penn State, and they – essentially beat them down. They score 40 points. And Penn State is a much better team than Rutgers, right? And so the fact that Penn State was able to put up, what was it, like 26 points, something like that, I just totally think Rutgers doesn't have a shot here. But like I said before, I'm just hoping we can pull some things out of that game that were that that, that would make us look hopeful for the future. Maybe some fourth down stops, you know, on uh, like a third and one, we stuff them, something like that to look forward to. Uh, so... I just think Justin Field and let's he's a he's a projected first round pick this oh, year. Oh yeah. So top 10 I think, right? Yeah. The Giants might have to take a look at him, but that's that's another story. That is another story. <laughs> but but I just think uh like I said, outmatched, take away little things, work on that and that's all you can hope for. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see, you know, how Rutgers fares against Ohio State. They're number 3, they're a consistent uh Big 10 title champion and they're always um, they're always they haven't really made it far in terms of the title game unless you count like six seven years ago. But they they've been at college football semifinals very recently. Um, in this decade, they've it seems like they're in there every year. Um, and they're a tough team. Um, you know Ryan Day has done tremendous th- uh, tremendous uh, takeover when he took over, um, for uh, Urban Meyer. Um, and you know the same. It's the same coaching philosophy almost, where they have such a guy, a quarterback like Justin Fields, who was a Heisman candidate uh, last season, and they have good running backs too. Like they had J.K. Dobbins, um, who's who's in the NFL now, but they also have 
a lot of caliber running backs that should scare this Rutgers defensive line, like Master Teague, 110 yards for uh, one touchdown. Uh, his longest is a 31 rush, so he's a guy who can really do some damage with his legs. Their backup uh, receiver, Garrett Wilson, they've done like jet sweeps with him, and he had a 62 well, like, yard. I wouldn't say he's a backup. He's their number two option. Like, it's him and Olave lining up on every Yeah, play. yeah, you're right about that. He He's kind of like a dual threat, too. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I guess you could say that. Um, I think, you know, the passing game is more dangerous than the running game. That's that's fair. Um, like, Master Teague's good, but, like, I don't think he's, like, head and shoulders above what the Scarlet Knights have in you know, 100%. like Isaiah Pacheco. It's really everything else um, that Ohio State has. And, you know, Justin Fields, like, he – an incompletion is rare for him, let alone an interception or something like that. Um, so the Scarlet Knights really are going to have to – be a lot better than they were at, you know, at least generating pressure to try to get him uh, to make those incompletions. You know, the defensive line has shown signs of life. Um, I, I think that if they hold their own against Ohio state, like that'll be a good sign. Um, secondary, obviously they can't afford any slip ups cause they'll get burned by Justin Fields on every one. So it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, I would say that this is probably the one game where I think it's going to be hard for the Scarlet Knights to compete and, you know, make it a close game. Um, just because if you look at the numbers, like Ohio State's favored by like 90% against every team in the Big Ten. Like, it's ridiculous how good Ohio State is at football this year. Ridiculous. It's like a cartoon. Like, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. You think they could go all the way, Chris, to the college football playoffs? Well, I mean, like, once you get to, like, you know, the Clemsons and the Alabamas of the world, then it's a different story. I'm talking about, like, you know, most, if not all teams in the Big Ten, I would throw, say maybe uh, Indiana, maybe Wisconsin, if they can get healthy uh, soon enough to be eligible for the Big Ten title game. You know, it, it's going to be tough. But, you know, that that's just where I view Ohio State having done my boards for them on both sides of the ball. This is a stacked roster. Yeah, let's talk uh, defensively because you will be calling that game uh, at 7.30. We'll have Rutgers count on. I will be on be, that uh, at 6.30. Uh, Brant Wolf will yeah, be yeah, your yeah. analyst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all about yourself, Shamid. Come on. Hey, I'm getting to it. You're the, you're the sports director. You're the broadcaster. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I want to yeah, actually yeah. I wanna ask you a couple of questions. Um, I want to put Uh-oh. you on the spot. Um, Uh-oh. Against Penn State, defense, I want to talk about Ohio State's defense. They had uh, five sacks for a total loss of 23 yards. Um or six or two sacks, five sacks, yeah, against Penn State. Um, they didn't have a, um, you know, they're very a little bit of a conservative defense, somewhat their defensive line. Um, you know, Penn State third down efficiency, they were three of nine. They held Penn State there, but they let up twenty first downs uh, for the Nittany Lions. Obviously, the Nittany Lions lost that game by thirteen. Um, who are the impact guys to look for on this defensive unit? Um, well, I think, you know, the linebackers have a couple of really talented guys, you know, guys like Pete Werner, tough Borland. Um, but keep an eye on the edge. Um, give me a sec here. I can get the numbers. Uh, His name is tough Borland, tough Borland. Wow. That's a name. Yeah. So I'm getting the numbers up here. Uh, yeah. So tough Borland and Tommy Togiai, uh, the nose tackle, they're both uh, tied with Marcus hooker, the safety um in leading the team in tackles not a lot of sacks in the first couple games um uh togai the nose tackle uh it, junior is leading the team in sacks with three zach harrison who was the backup to chase young last year right uh he's got a sack and a half um he's going to be a dominant force um 
The secondary also looked really good. Like between Sean Wade and Marcus Hooker, like this is a secondary that can definitely defend the passing games. And Noah Vedrill is going to have to be on point going through his reads, making smart decisions, running or throwing it away when he has to. Um, that's really what you're going to want to see from the Knights. Wasn't Sean Wade projected to go to the NFL draft last season? Yes. Yeah. He, um, why did yeah, he withdraw? Well, no, no. He initially opted out of this season. I remember hearing that. When the Big Ten reversed their decision, he, he came back. So, and he had a good uh, season last why. year. Yeah, he was very good. I mean, he's a guy like, you know, I would take him on the Jets. I mean, I'd take a, a five or six guys on both sides of the ball on the Jets. So, you know, that that's just how good they are. They've got NFL, future NFL players up and down this roster. So it should be fun to watch. Yeah, so we will talk about Rutgers and Noah Vedral. And, uh, you know, he had a couple, a couple, more than a handful of interceptions thrown against Indiana. Um, wasn't really, it, it was an interesting performance to see him. Obviously, he did some damage with his legs, as he always does, but... You think we're going to see more of a run-oriented offense for Rutgers because it didn't really seem like they wanted to pass much on uh, Saturday. Well, they're going to have to get some sort of running game uh, going uh, against Ohio State if they want to have any chance of putting points on the board. Because look, if you're if you're in third and long every every possession uh, against this Ohio State defense, you're going to have a bad time because you know. Uh, as much as I like Noah Vedrill, he's not good enough of a quarterback to bail you out with his arm. You've got to get some sort of running game. You've got to get Pacheco some good looks, maybe run off tackle a little bit if the protection's good. Um, you just got to be smart with uh, your play calling, and you have to try everything you can to get some sort of run game going because if you don't, you're going to be in you're going to be in some trouble. Yeah, and you have to get it to third downs that are manageable. Like you said, Chris, you don't want yes. to be third and 20 every time. If you can Or even run like ball, third and eight, third and seven. Like right. As long as it's hard. within like nine, eight yards, I, I feel like that's a decent situation as opposed to like third and 15. I just think the, you saw it last week too. The offensive line struggled last week. It, it did not give Vedral much time. He had to roll out. The run game wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a present factor. So Going going up against an Ohio State defense that we have just talked about is stacked on every position, even with their backups. They are stacked from top to bottom. So if Rutgers wants to have any chance of just scoring any points, they're going to have to get a run game going because I on third and 20, how much time is Vedral going to get to throw this ball? And you have to give the receivers time to run the route deep, right. deep enough. So, I mean, if you're only blocking for two seconds, he's going to have to roll out and throw – you know, those kind of interceptions that we saw against Indiana last week where he's trying to force throws and they're not very good. So I, I just think the offensive line has to play outstanding for us to have a chance and it, to just score any points just because I, I feel like with, with with what Chris said, getting into those long third downs, it, if that's a constant theme throughout the game, it's just going to be a bad day for Rutgers. Yeah, and I want to talk about, you know, Chris, there's, you know, I'm sure you've done your boards. You know about Tommy uh, Togiai. Am I, saying, am I pronouncing that right? I think you are. Yeah, he's the, you know, he was the uh, reigning Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. He had three sacks. He's an interior D lineman. Uh, seven tackles, two QB hurries um, against Penn State's offense. This is a guy that's going to be absolutely lethal, I think, that Rutgers' offensive line is going to have to continue. When a guy like this who has three sacks as an interior guy, that's going to be a lot of problem for, uh, for Noah Vedral. Yeah, it is. And that's why, you know, if if you are going to pass on first and second down, you're going to want to scheme up something quick, get out of his hands, 
you know, three seconds max, because if you're, you know, the longer he's in the pocket, the more things can go wrong. Exactly. And, you know, right now Rutgers just does not have the talent to compete against um, an Ohio state defensive line. Um, I think the offensive line was the weakest position group uh, from what I saw in the Indiana game. True. Maybe you'll agree with me. Maybe you won't, but you know, that's really, you got to work with your strengths and offensive line is as far away from a strength as you can get on this team right now. I think that that's the area where they have the most, room to grow so passing game should be you know short passes get it up three four seconds max actually four seconds is probably a little too much uh Vegel's gonna have to get out of his hands or roll out of the pocket um on maybe some designed runs or you know read option i'd like to see langan in a bit more there are a couple different ways you can be creative about it and I, I think sean gleason's gonna do a good job of scheming that um but you know, if Vedral's sitting in the pocket, um, in a pocket QB role and, you know, waiting for the right read to come open and relying on protection, that's a recipe for failure. And they, and they should definitely strive to get, like, Pacheco out in the open field, mm-hmm. run a little, a little like, screen for Pacheco, get him open, get some receivers downfield to block. And what, with what you were saying about the nose tackle with three sacks, that's, that's an issue already because that's going to force a double team for us if you think about it. The center and left or right guard, whichever way he lines up, that's going to force a double team. And then you're relying on our left and right tackle to go one-on-one with these guys that are probably going to be in the NFL in a couple of years. So that's going to be a big issue. If if we decide to go double team on the, in the middle of the line, whichever way is the double team, the opposite side is going to have one-on-one matchups, and we're probably going to lose most of the time those matchups. And it's just going to be a rough day for Vedral back there. Yeah, it is. It's gonna be a rough day for Sam Bretman and Cedric Palant, the two uh, the two young guys that are gonna be doing those uh, manning those uh, positions, and they're gonna try and main, uh, close those gaps. But you know, it's gonna be really tough with the guy uh, like with the defensive line that Ohio State has. It's gonna be really difficult to uh, at keep uh, give Noah Vedral uh, some time in the pocket. Chris, what are you really you know? We now talk about Rutgers football. Greg Schiano's return to the banks. What really needs to happen in this game to say that, oh, Rutgers competed and they contended? Because we all know that there's a high chance they're not going to win this game. That That's a good question. And, you know, like the analytics are predicting like a 35-point uh, loss. Uh, if you look at like ESPN, FBI, or those kinds of sites, um, I, I would say, you know, put some points on the board, um, get a couple stops on the offensive side of the ball. Um as long as it's not like a 52 nothing 52 three kind of deal like if they look like at least a legit big 10 football team because keep in mind like you know take their opener against nebraska nebraska is a middle of the pack good but not great big 10 team right they they lost 52 to 17 so something to that effect you know and obviously no one gets hurt and stuff like that um i think that would be that would be a pretty acceptable outcome i think yeah i i I just don't know. If I see them put up, let's say, 10, 17 points maybe. I, I know we scored 21 last year, but we did have a lot of a lot better linemen last year that decide, that were either graduated Well, we or, also, Dylan, we were also down 49-7 at the half and yeah. playing the second half against uh, like the entire second string. Yeah, so I so, feel like the final score, like the, I would call that game, that was a fun game to call in the second half, but like I, I don't think it's a fair. I'll put you this way. If they do better in the first half this year than Rutger, than uh, they did in the first half against Ohio State last year, I, I would be okay with that. Yeah, if they yeah. if they can just muster up a way to get you know maybe two touchdowns in the first half, that would be great. I feel like, 
especially if they're if they're long drives where they're like ten play drives for eight minutes, seven minutes, six minutes, whatever the case may be. But they're making the plays, they're getting the first downs, they're converting. If if we can do that offensively, because I know defense is not a big issue for right now. They've been playing pretty well, at least from what I've seen. Uh, and I know they're not going to do. Per- I know they're not going to do well this weekend, and I don't blame them. Ohio State's filled with NFL talent, but. If we could just see the improvement offensively, then I think we're going in the right direction. Yeah, I think that's a pretty reasonable expectation. No, they they just got to play smart football. I think that'll go a long way towards making this a respectable outcome. Just don't, just, yeah, yeah. Just don't, just don't beat yourself. That's that's what the goal should be. Yes, don't. That that's a good one. That's a good one. Don't beat yourself. Just go out there, play hard, make them beat you. Don't throw three picks on your own 20 on the first three drives because then that's just game over from right there. Make them work defensively. Make them force you to get the fourth down. You know, Just make them have some kind of effort right? where they're not going into the game saying this is going to be a cakewalk. We don't even have to try. Make them go out there and try so you earn some respect. You know what I mean? It's a primetime game too. Yeah. Might as well. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what really happens in this game. As long as nobody really gets hurt, um, that's a key a- asset or any of the players, uh, I think that's uh, – a good margin, a uh, good benchmark uh, to look at. What do we think uh, score prediction wise? Oh gosh, oh, it's, uh, it's a bit early in the week, isn't it? For that stream, <laughs> it's only Tuesday. It's never too early, Chris. Like I didn't even have a cup of coffee. Like, come on, cup of coffee. It's the evening selection night. It's gonna go to like three a.m. You know that, Shmeed. Yeah, and more probably not. They might not even announce Which a winner is, I, tonight. Yeah, who knows how that's going to work. But, um, yeah, which I probably shouldn't stay up for that because I have a 8 a.m. sportscast tomorrow. But, you know, uh, I know, I'm not known for making the best decisions when it comes to sleep. So, <laughs> have you, um, what's the uh, interesting thing about Ohio State? You think with uh, Ryan Day's schemes, um, we know they run that really fast offense. Um, how do you think this is going to match up against the Rutgers defensive line with guys like Michael Dwum for? Uh, and Ahana Tuna uh, as well. Yeah, Dwumfer is going to be a key guy there because if he can, you know, if the defense Rutgers, def, I think the defensive line is in much better shape than the offensive line. I'll put it to you that way. Um, Dwumfer is going to be key in terms of stopping the run game. Uh, if they can get a bit of pressure on the edge with Lamore and uh, and Mike Tverdov, I think that's going to be helpful. Uh, really, everyone's going to be after, uh, on the right game because you know Ohio State will be. So that that's really how I see that. I thought it was interesting that they put CJ Onyechi instead of Lamore uh, for the first couple plays, uh, but I don't. I don't think we're going to see that though on Saturday, given that Lamore is like the more experienced guy. No, no, I think you're right. Yeah, I wonder why they did that though, because I, I was like looking at it and I saw that Onyechi was like blitzing um, against Indiana's linemen, and like I think he had a tackle on Michael Penix or on a run from uh, from Stevie Scott or something like that. But it was interesting to see him out there and not uh, Lamore. I guess that was a little bit of. You know, defensively, Greg Schiano wanted a different changeup, I guess, different look. I guess. I, you know, I think it could also come down to personal matchups, too. I think experience is going to be a factor against a team like Ohio State. I'll put it to you that way. Has Vedrola ever played Ohio State with Nebraska? I don't – or started? I don't think he has, no? I have um... no clue. Good question. I don't know. I can look into that. I don't even think he start. I think it, it, it. I think it was that Adrian Martinez kid from Nebraska that started all these years, and that's probably why he transferred because he never played. I'll pull up his stats. Hang on. 
Yeah, because he played. He saw time against Indiana. I remember when they played, and he had a good game against Indiana. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't think he would have really saw time unless he came in as like a backup against Ohio State. Yeah, unless Adrian Martinez got. Hurt. I, I believe that's who started. But unless he he was hurt or something, uh, then I don't think he he's ever played them. Um, Let's see, 2019, he played five games, started two against uh, Indiana and Minnesota. Minnesota, that's um, the other one. Let me see, 2018, yeah, no, he never played Ohio State with them. Uh, UCF, he played. I don't think UCF played Ohio State. No, no, they didn't. Um, yeah, yeah, no, they, they, he never played Ohio State. Um, best team uh, on here that he's played, probably Iowa. Yeah. I mean, maybe you could throw. I mean, Minnesota was pretty good last year too, so you could maybe throw them in as well. So uh, we'll have to see how that works out. Yeah, but um, you know, we'll see what happens if uh, Johnny Langan, you know, that similar Taysom Hill role we've talked about with the Saints, where uh, you know, he caught a nice little pass from uh, Vedral, and um, you think we'll see that against Ohio State, or maybe some more like flea flicker trickery. Man, I hope so. That would be that'd be awesome if we saw uh, Langan a bit. I think that. You know, when you're kind of outmatched uh, against a team like Ohio State, I think that, you know, using those mismatches a bit would uh, would really go a long way towards, um, you know, mixing things up on the offensive side of the ball, forcing the Ohio State defense to react. And really, whatever advantage you can get, you should try and scheme your way around that. So, yeah, I think they should. You know, don't be don't be just, you know, basic run the ball for be creative with it. You have you have Lang on the bench, right? Use use every player that you have to whatever you can you can think of, whatever you can draw up. And it's and it's been working so far. Not a lot of teams the two, the first two teams they have not prepared for a you know Langan rushing touchdown or a Langan passing touchdown, whatever it is, screen pass, trick play. They they don't prepare for these kind of things. And let's be honest, what does Rutgers have to lose, right? They're going into this game. Everyone's going to say they're going to lose by fifty. You might as well try something different. No, maybe it works. Maybe it maybe it catches online. Like you know, Ohio State got fooled. Sixty-yard touchdown for the right, third-string right. quarterback. You know what I mean? It, what's the what's the what's the harm in trying? I should say. Like it's there's no there's no reason not to try to be. No, I agree. It's just I go agree. out there and have fun, and then just just do everything you can. And why not just try it? You know. Time for locks of the week here on the Tuesday crew. Jake Schmid, Dylan Allen, Chris Sakonis. College, there's some college football games tomorrow uh, and throughout the week. NFL schedule as well. Who wants to start us off with locks? I'll, I'll start it off. Um, so my lock of the week is Packers money line over the 49ers this week. As we all know, Jimmy Garoppolo. George Kittle, they both suffered injuries this past week against Seattle. They're going to be out for some time. George Kittle is going to be out for like eight weeks. I don't know how how long Garoppolo will be out, but it'll definitely be some time. And let's not forget they have all those defensive injuries from the start. Uh, uh, Bosa, Sherman, they're they're all injured. Solomon Thomas. uh, And the Packers have looked really good this year. I think that's the safe bet. Packers money line. I still got to find mine. Uh, Chris, do you have yours? Seahawks minus three on the road at Buffalo. I think Seahawks offense is electric. I think that they have the dogs to outscore 
Buffalo. Um, yeah, I don't think this game is that close. Seahawks minus three. I'm going to take the uh, Chargers minus one at home against the Raiders. I really like what Justin Herbert's been doing, 15 touchdowns on the year. Um, they lost by one to the Broncos last weekend, but I think that they're going to pick it up uh, this Sunday against the Raiders. That's a big game for the Chargers, who are 2-5 and five, uh, in the AFC West. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, that should be pretty interesting. I their defense, it seems like they keep blowing all these leads week in and yeah. week out the Chargers. And then they go and trade Desmond King, one of their best corners, for a sixth-round pick to the Titans, which I thought was pretty questionable. I, I feel like they could have gotten more for him. But um, Justin Herbert has really impressed me so far. Um, as a Giants fan, it's, it kind of pisses me off because he was supposed to be our quarterback, but he decided to go back to school. And now we're stuck with Danny Dimes, uh, or I should say Danny Fumbles. Yeah, maybe we'll save that for uh, can we just talk later. Uh, Chris, I was looking at the a game that I really thought that was interesting over the weekend to watch was the Saints-Bears. Did you catch a little of that game, the overtime winner? I, I caught a little bit of overtime, yeah. What do you think of the Bears right now? They're 5-3 and three, um, in this on the season. They lost to the Rams the week before, but they've been close games, and they've got the Titans and the Vikings up next before they're buying a— Week 11, do we think the Bears are for real? I don't know. I go I go back and forth on the Bears. I think that, you know, their defense obviously is elite. Um, yeah. And, you know, they've got some playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. I just don't know if, you know, at this point, Nick Foles or, or Mitch Trubisky, for that matter, even though he's not starting right now, um, are guys that can really, you know, carry you in the playoffs. Because we know how much that playoff football comes down to quarterback play. And I think that that's going to hold them back. And um, I, I will say this. I think if, you know, teams that are, are looking for a quarterback this offseason, I think the Bears have to be at the top of the list. I wouldn't be surprised if they're, you know, shopping picks for, you know, a guy like Sam Darnold in the offseason. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree with you there, Chris. The, the defense is definitely there. They've been there the past couple of years, and that was the reason why they went to the playoffs in 18. But this year – you saw against the Rams, Nick Foles struggled so much because Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, the defense was just too much, and their offensive line isn't good enough for the Chicago Bears' offensive line. They're not good enough. And a guy like Nick Foles, who isn't the most athletic guy to start with, if he doesn't have a clean pocket, he's not going to be very good and very productive. He's a pocket passer, not Lamar Jackson. So I think the defense is definitely there, and they could definitely go to the playoffs, but the, the offensive line play has to play better for Nick Foles to be able to uh, to just play better overall. And they definitely have the talent on the offense, too. David Montgomery's pretty good. They still have Allen Robinson, and they have uh, Jimmy Graham and a rookie tight end, Cole Komet, out of the draft. It, just the line is the issue there. So uh, they have a chance, but it'll take a lot better offensive play, offensive line play for that to happen. Yeah, and they are in an interesting uh, division, really. The NFC North, you know, the Packers are five and two, the Bears are five and three, then the Lions are three and four, Vikings two and five. But the Packers and Bears are very similar, uh, you know, in the standings. The Packers lost to the Vikings by six, and that was, you know, Dalvin Cook had four touchdowns in that game, uh, three rushing, and then he caught one. That was that was very interesting to see that really happen. Yeah, Dalvin Cook's on my fantasy team. He got me 48 points, so I was very happy. 
But to be honest, he, it wasn't that shocking to me personally because I think that's the that's the issue with Green Bay's defense, their run defense. It has been bad the past couple years. Jair Alexander, the secondary, he's very good. I, I, I just think the run game is the issue for Green Bay. and You see it with Dalvin Cook. Right. It, it, I think that's just the issue. Uh, but I think that was just, honestly, I think that was just a fluke. The, the Packers are much better the team than that. And oh, we yeah. all know that teams in divisional games play better or worse just because it's divisional games. You look last week against Eagles-Giants, right? That game yeah. was so close for no reason. But the week before that, the Eagles, are they lose by two to Baltimore, who's a top-six team in the NFL. I think it's just the factor of divisional games that that's why Minnesota was just able to be so successful. And then they go out and play uh, another team, and then they struggle. But I, I don't know. I think that's just how it is. Yeah, and the, you talk about divisional games. The Patriots lost by three to the Bills. The Bills went to six and two, but that was a late fumble by uh, Cam Newton, which um, you know ultimately led to that uh, field goal there. But it, it, Cam Newton, you know, Chris, I don't really know how I feel about Cam Newton on the Patriots. They're two and five right now. They're third in the AFC East. The Dolphins are above them, and Tua had a good game. Uh, you know, they beat the Rams twenty-eight to seventeen. They're four and three. Miami, all of a sudden. Yeah, Miami's an interesting case because, you know, you look at the roster and you say, well, you know, this isn't too, too impressive. And, you know, a lot of people, myself included, uh, sort of had them pegged as a rebuild team this year. But they've got a really good coaching staff led by Brian Flores. And I think it's a testament to how important coaching is in the NFL. Uh, if you have the right coach, you can you know, get more out of the team than maybe is talented. And if you have the wrong coach, and of course, I'm not mentioning any team in particular here. Uh, can really set you back and uh, hold you back from giving any kind of success. So, Andy, um, you know, they've got the right guy in charge, I think. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with Tua, but they seem to have the foundation set for more success in the future. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not so ready to hop on the Tua train yet. If you look at that game, the, the, the score would, would tell you otherwise. He only had 90 yards and one touchdown that game. I— but they scored 28, and that was just a lot of miscues by Jared Goff and the Rams' offense, and a lot of opportunities that were created by the Dolphins' defense. They had a they had the scoop and score that was recovered for a touchdown, and then I believe they had two other turnovers from Goff that was returned very close to the end zone on the other side of the field, which then just it was an easy run in for Miles Gaskin, and it was an easy slant route for Devontae Parker. They were right on the one. Tua really didn't have to do much. And outside of all those turnovers that led to scores, he really didn't create a drive from their own 25 down to the end zone. Like, he didn't really do that. So I'm not so high on Tua yet. I think he'll be good, but I, I just, that the score is deceiving. The defense just played so well and created so many turnovers. It was like Rutgers uh, against Michigan State. The defense forced so many turnovers in Michigan State's territory, and it made our offense look good because we scored 37. But you look at last week, and they struggled heavily against Indiana. So I think that's just the case there with Tua. But I also did have Miami as a as a rebuild team, although I did think they would have some success since Tom Brady left New England. I thought they would come in second in that division yeah. because the Jets are terrible. And 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 New England, I at the time, they didn't sign Cam Newton yet, so they were going to start Jared Stidham, a rookie quarterback or second-year quarterback. So I thought Miami was going to finish second. They were going to maybe get... I don't know, five, six wins, seven wins. So 
but so far they look they look pretty good defensively. They've shocked me almost because we all know how how good that Rams offense is and how it should be, and to put up that performance, it's pretty encouraging. But I still think the Bills have the division, um, pretty much on lock at this point. And I don't know if there's a way that Miami could get in since they're only four and three. But I think they definitely have a bright future. And you're right, Chris Brian Flores. It seems like it's been a good hire so far for them. Yeah, they got an interesting week right now. Week a uh, couple weeks. Um set up they already had their bye before the rams game but they're at arizona this sunday then they're host the chargers at denver at the jets and that's how they finish november um you know the cardinals have a good defense so that's going to be a challenge for tua uh the Chargers are going to be an interesting one too you have two young quarterbacks and tua and justin herbert going at it and then you have the broncos and jets um you know broncos are three and four and the jets we already know their story oh and eight um you know, but but the way that the Jets and Dolphins always play, Chris, you know, that could maybe even be a potential win for the Jets, maybe. Yeah, and like what I said before about the divisional games, uh, the matchups like Green Bay and Minnesota. Look at last week. You look at you look at the Jets' record. They're zero and eight, right? But they they played Buffalo. What was it? Two weeks ago, and yeah. they and they only lost by eight points, eight eighteen to ten. They didn't give up one touchdown. It, it, it's just it, it's something with the divisional matchups that for whatever reason are super close when they really shouldn't be so you you're right I think that's that this might be a winnable game for the Jets especially since this is two was what would it be like his third start yeah for something like that right and so the, but the other issue is that the Jets have pretty much shipped out everybody that's been good on their defense that would be able to stop him they just traded away Avery Williamson last night to the Steelers uh they traded away Steve McLendon to the Bucks. We all know about Jamal Adams to the Seahawks earlier on. They really don't have they really don't have much much left on that defense, but I think it'll be close. I don't think it'll be a total beatdown just because the divisional games are always close. Uh, it's just that's how it is. But uh, but it, but when they play the Chargers, it seems like the Chargers that have good defenses, good pass rushes. That that'll be a true test. Uh, I I honestly I thought the Rams were gonna blow them out this week. Because so did I. Just because I thought the presence of Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and everyone else on that defense was going to be too much for Tua, and, and and in a in a certain way I was right because the first drive Aaron Donald had a strip sack on Tua. His first like first drive strip sack. That's Aaron Donald for you. Yeah. he's a force. So right in the first quarter, it was it was the, the Rams got the ball in Miami's territory. I was like, okay, yeah, this is what I thought was going to happen. And then later on, they the, the Rams just couldn't punch the ball in, but. Um, like I said, the Miami Dolphins aren't the greatest team, so they're definitely going to struggle against some of these better teams. The Broncos are very inconsistent too. Drew Locke, very inconsistent. They are. He'll, he'll go three quarters where he'll basically be trash, and then the fourth quarter he'll he'll throw for 200 yards, three touchdowns, and then all of a sudden his stat line is three touchdowns, one pick with 300 yards, but he only had 100 yards and an interception through three quarters, and he looks fantastic. But the Broncos are just too inconsistent. I don't know what the what the status is with Philip Lindsay, if he's going to be hurt or Melvin Gordon. I don't know what that's going to look like. You know, they already have Von Miller out for the year. That's a big loss already. Um, but uh, it, but like I said, we really didn't see much from Tua to really critique him on. He only had he really didn't have that many drives that he that he just built on his own. It was mainly just a lot of turnovers by the defense that he just. Five-yard touchdowns, five-yard touchdowns, punched it in. So uh, it should be interesting to see how he plays when the defense doesn't get all those turnovers because that's not going to happen again. 
It's the same thing we were talking about with Rutgers. Seven turnovers, that's not going to... We shouldn't expect that to happen ever again. That's just... That's once in a blue moon that that happens. Who do you guys really like? Like, you talk about young quarterbacks a lot. Um, and I see the defensive uh, standpoint from what you're saying, Dylan. Um, who do we really like that's going to, I think, manifest into, you know, a big-time quarterback? Do we like Joe Burrow? Do we like Justin Herbert? Tua Tagovailoa? You know, who do we really like in the NFL right now? So, like I just said, Tua, I can't really critique on. I think he'll be good, but that's about all I can say just because I haven't seen much. But in terms of Burrow and Herbert, first of all, Burrow looks like he's been in the NFL for like 10 years. That's he looks true. Like, he looks like a natural-born leader. He looks like he, know, he just knows what he's doing. He but goes out there with a purpose. Herbert, Herbert looks just as good. Herbert just looks – yeah, his accuracy, deep ball, is on point. Uh, it's just I don't know how I can almost separate the two. In my book, they're both tied for rookie of the year. I, I don't they're, – they're, they've both impressed me. Very much, and it, and the Chargers should be like five and two, if it wasn't for these 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 leads that the defense is blowing late in games, they should be five and two. They would be a really good team right now if the defense could just hold hold the lead for them. Um, and Joe Burrow is the exact opposite. A team that wasn't supposed to be good, he he has now used guys like Tyler Boyd, AJ Green, uh, rookie T Higgins has turned into a star too. He's just really made this offense a presence now, and if they could get a defense, they actually might be a good team in the future too. I, I like them both, Chris. I don't know. I don't know if you have a preference over one, but I don't know. I, I mean, I'm leaning towards Burrow, but I, I mean, look, if the Giants had uh, not picked Daniel Jones and waited a year, they could have had Justin Herbert too. But, That's you know, true. Um, you know, you know, Danny Dimes gonna Danny Dimes, but. Um, but Herbert, I like, I'm not necessarily faulting them. I mean, you know, I'm saying we remember the about Daniel Jones pick, but I wasn't totally sold on Herbert coming out of the draft either. I mean, look, I thought that Sam Darnold, uh, and Baker Mayfield were the two best quarterbacks in the draft uh, in 2018 or 27. Yeah. 2018. 2018. And Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen have both had better careers than, uh, Sam and Baker. So, you know, you really can't predict these things ahead of time, which is kind of why, you know, I'm not as hooked on the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes as everyone else is, but you know, that's just me. Um, because it all depends yeah. on what team Trevor goes to, right? Exactly. If he goes to the jets, let's say, right. Oh yeah. But the jets are gonna have a new coach. Like it's not going to be the same situation. Maybe a new GM too. No, the GM is staying. No, the GM he's staying. is actually good at his job. The coach is awful. Yeah. Adam Gase needs to go, but if they decide to, if the, honestly, if the jets get the first pick, I think that they should either trade the pick and get a lot for it and, and build around Darnold or or they trade Darnold, get a lot for him, Who would and want then Darnold? take Trevor. Listen, oh, people, would, teams, people would absolutely want Darnold. Teams like the Colts and the Steelers, guys yes. like Big Ben that are almost on their way out, yeah, and, that's and a, the Colts, that's they, about they, it. They, they, both have, too. they both have great, and the Bears too, yes. They both have great offensive lines that could easily, easily turn Sam Darnold from a bottom-tier quarterback into a very good one. Because I, I don't think he's the issue for the Jets. I just think it's the lack of talent around him. There's no, there's nothing up front. It, it, it's, there's minimal receivers to throw to. His his running back was just cut because of I don't know why. He's got Michael P. Ryan back there now. He's he's a rookie. He, he really doesn't have much to work with. So I'm pretty sold on Trevor Lawrence. He's looked really good his first three years in college. I, I'm not uncertain about that. Just talk.
Time for Can We Just Talk here on The Crew. Chris O'Connor's had to step out. It's Jake Schmid and Dylan Allen. A lot of stuff we could talk about today, Dylan, but let's spin the wheel and see where it lands. Oh, Dylan, you got you got it. What do you have for us? For can we just talk today? Let's talk about the New York Football Giants. What do you? Yeah, say, let's Jim? do that. All right, so we have a lot to unpack here. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's talk about last night's game. Uh, what looked good last night was their defense. Uh, I thought they played lights out. Oh yeah, they kept Tom Brady. You saw the videos. You saw the pictures. He was smashing his helmet on the bench. Yeah, he was upset. He was angry that it, they they rattled him up that last they night. They did. They did a great job. Um, front seven looked great. They were able to stop the run. And, yeah, run defense looked pretty good. Yeah, and other than like the late penalties at the end for pass interference, the secondary looked pretty good too. The my issue is Daniel Jones. Or Here we go. Better known as Danny Fumbles in my book. Um, oh my gosh. He he has after last night he has proven to me that he is not the future for the New York Giants, and no. I think the New York Giants need to draft a quarterback this year. Because uh, I'm expecting they're going to hire a new GM. They're gonna get rid of Dave. Oh, they Gettleman. have to just get rid of Gettleman. They have to. They, they at have this to. point, they have to. And if they don't, then that's just. Then I don't know what they're thinking. But assuming that 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 happens, the new GM and Joe Judge are gonna come together and they're gonna meet up and they're gonna say, "Listen, is is Daniel Jones the future? Because now we we're in a position where we can trade up for Trevor Lawrence or draft Justin Fields, whoever they feel like is is a good fit." But the discussion becomes, you know, do we have any faith? Yeah. Do we have any faith in Daniel Jones to, right. to be the successor of this team? I don't and think it, we do. And I, as a fan, no. I do not. No. I think his time. Let let him finish out this season. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. But if he continues playing like he is now, I think it's pretty much sold that we we took a major risk drafting him at six and it didn't pay off. So it I was think, very high. Everybody was skeptical about that. Yeah, I. So I think this is you know if Daniel Jones wants to keep his keep his job, he needs to figure out how to make this team go nine and seven. Or eight and eight. Otherwise, if it's like five and eleven, which I don't think that I four. If he gets over six wins this year, he might stay. But if he gets under under, I think they're going to draft a new quarterback. And let me just talk about his performance last night. Yeah, let's get, unpack this right now. Oh, so, so first off, we get a fumble. What's his name? Um, Ronald Jones, right? That's his name. The running back on Tampa. Yeah, yeah. So he gets he fumbles the ball on their own. 15, 20 yard line. Yeah, they were back deep. We get it, and we score a touchdown. Great, right? right? Great. So then later in the game, coming out of halftime, we're up 14 to 6. Daniel Jones throws an interception, gives them the ball back. They get a field goal, right? And at this point in the game, I believe it's like close to the end of the third quarter by the time we get the ball back. It's third and third and like eight or nine. I don't remember, but he runs outside the pocket, and obviously the play is dead. Like, there's no one open. Just throw the ball away, punt the ball, you know, whatever. Just just don't throw it anywhere. It doesn't need to go. Don't force any throws. And what does he do? He forces a throw, and it leads to an interception, which then gives them the ball back, and then they go down and score the touchdown, and then they're up by one point. You can't be throwing these interceptions willy-nilly, just running out there, just throwing it, slinging it. He looked, He reminded me of Vedral. Yeah, he re- that's a perfect run, comparison. Run outside the, po- run outside the pocket. And just throw it to whoever's there, just because you can, and it's the most inaccurate pass I've ever seen. And let's not let's not forget, he missed Slayton on a deep route where he was open as he was so open. 
I could have made that throw, and I would have underthrown it by 20 yards, and he still could have caught it. Easily. It just – and the fact that he didn't even see him, it's not even like he threw it to him. The, the cornerback, I don't know what he was doing, but when the play was snapped, the, the corner stopped running with, with Slayton, and Slayton just kept going, and the safety moved to the right side of the field. Slayton was going up the left side. He was wide open, but Daniel didn't see him, and then he tries to throw it to Shepard, and then it gets picked off or incomplete, and then we punt the ball. But that should have been a nice 40-yard, 50-yard touchdown right there. And then you skip ahead later in the game. He has Slayton open. He throws it, but he throws it three yards too too far, and he misses him. And he misses him deep. A missed throw there. A missed throw to Shepard. This this just this cannot happen. We are in a the last two three weeks. We have been in positions to win football games. They should have almost close to a winning record, at least 500, yeah, I think. We should have beaten the Eagles last week. Should've. Now, I'm not going to pin that on Jones last week because— But that's a team effort in that loss. Yeah, I'm going to pin that a little bit on Engram just because he dropped that yeah, ball. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's good blame to for Engram. If I were to blame one, it would be him, right? But in that game, defense played outstanding. The defense has played outstanding all Oh, year. yeah. James they, Bradbury is one of the best pass breakups defensive backs in the league. Yeah, he's played. He's one of the best corners, right? He's a Pro Bowl corner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a, it, that was a good signing for Gettleman. I'll give him his credit there. It's but, but just I it it, it it ticked me off so much last night because in the back of my head as a Giants fan, and you know this, every time they have a lead and it's in the fourth quarter and you're getting there kind of comfortably, you're like, hey, we could we could win this thing. You know they're not going to win the game. You know they're going to screw it up somehow give the ball back, throw a pick, whatever the case is. They, you just know they're not going to win. That Eagles game, when we were up 21-10, to 10, my brother, who's an Eagles fan, was sitting next to me. I told him, we're going to lose this game. You shouldn't be worried. And he was worried because he's like, well, we have to beat you. We want to go to the playoffs. We can't be losing games like this. And what do you know? We lost that game. I, I just It's un, it's inexcusable, the, the performance that Daniel Jones had last night. The fact that he missed so many open receivers and he just didn't see them and you know a lot of sloppy passes, it, it just that, that, that can't happen in a game where your defense is playing their hearts out against one of the best offenses in the league and only gives up two touchdowns. They gave up four field goals, and a lot of them was because of Daniel Jones throwing an interception on their own 40. You can't ask much more from your defense if you're, if you're giving the Bucks the ball on your own 40 every time. That just can't happen. And so then... After watching last last night's game, that confirmed to me that Daniel Jones is not the future. And I think that we, whoever we decide to hire as the next GM, should look to either trade up to get Lawrence, which will cost a lot, so I don't know if that's worth it, but maybe get Justin Fields or somebody else. Just somebody. we got to try somebody else. Maybe trade for an active quarterback. I don't yeah. know. Just do something, because Daniel Jones is not the answer. No. No, I, I don't think so either. Um, yeah, the Giants haven't really been playing great in the fourth quarter. Um, a lot of these turnover woes, fourth quarter um, woes. The last four games, though, including last night against Tempe Buccaneers, they've all been decided by seven points within that time frame, but a total of six points, Dallas, Philly, and Tampa. And they haven't, you know, it's been a tough time to come for for the Giants. They you know, they led 17-15 before the Bucs scored 10 straight points. Then they were up 25-17, but then in the game against Philly, as you talked about, they were up by 11, and the Eagles scored two late touchdowns to win 22-21. And then, of course, the Engram that would have, you know, if he caught that and then they would have scored, that would have really given them that extra padding for that lead that would have given them a win, guaranteed them a win. I, I would think that that would guarantee them a win because they had the lead when Engram dropped the ball. But, you know, 
The Giants, Tampa Bay, the statistically though, it was only 263 to 256 passing yards. It was a very narrow window for Brady to win it. He won that like individual battle. Like they're competing on paper, but it's when it matters, they aren't showing up. Yeah, it's just uh, the difference of the game was Brady was able to not just not give the ball away like 100%. Daniel Jones. He wasn't giving us extra extra possessions, extra and he drives. Had, he had all the time in the pocket, too. Did you see them when they were blitzing him in the first half? Like, virtually the Giants could not get to Tom no Brady. No pass rush. Th- a third it's, and, it's like New England all over again. Yeah, it would be a third and five, third and six, and we would rush three, and we would not get any pressure, and then he would sit in there for seven seconds and find someone open in the flat and get the first down easily. Uh, but, I don't know, man. This dish just stinks. Happen, having to watch all these games and just lose in these ways, it just stinks. It, it just it gets your hopes up for no reason, it, just to, just to lose, and it, it's just it's annoying too because the defense, like I said, played their hearts out, and I thought they played pretty well, and so I thought it was a very very good effort by everybody. And what encouraged me last night, though, I will say, I don't know, I don't know about you, but it looked like the Giants' run game wasn't that bad. No, no, it wasn't. I completely forgot they had Alfred Morris on the team. You know, they were mixing him in with Wayne Gallman. Is Devonta Freeman, they're just not giving him the ball? Is I, that I the thought, story? I thought he was injured. I didn't really see. I'm not a, sure, though. Yeah, I, I didn't really see him in much. I'm going to But, yeah, he did not get that. any. He didn't get any. If he's, if he's yeah, healthy. Yeah, ankle injury. Yeah, that's okay. what it was. So, yeah. But if he did. Yeah, so, so, so the run game looked good, and, what, and that makes me happy because I know that if Saquon was playing, it would have been so much better because it's just the, the presence he brings and the moves that he can make. Right. Just if we were able to do that with Alfred Morris, who we we signed off the practice squad. Yeah. I, I just imagined Saquon back there, and we could have had a lot better runs up the middle, to the side, whatever the case is. It just that encouraged me. But <sighs> Daniel Jones, man, he's got to go. Here's the thing, though. The Giants had a – that was one of the best run defenses. You know, they're up there with the Steelers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. They have a good defense. But the Giants were able to break through with Wayne Gallman, with, you know, Alfred Morris. And they got a, you know, and Deion Lewis, too. Like, he had that, he's been good as, like, a, you know, he's, he's been in the wideout spot. He's a dual threat, too. It's going to be interesting to see what really comes of that, you know, that team. Because Devonta Freeman, you know, trying to see what his timetable um, would be. He didn't, he didn't practice last week. Um He's missing his. He missed his first game already. There's no really a timetable available. It's good that Shepard. You know they're limiting Shepard in practice. He's still, um, you know, coming back, uh, from that shoulder injury as well. So he's like, you know, he's like not. He's like ninety percent ready. But he had a good game too. And I think that you got to keep going to guys like that because it's you know then again the NFC East is the worst division. Are no question in the NFL. We know that nobody, you know, you can have a losing record and win that division because they go to the playoffs. Um, right now, the Eagles are three, four, and one. They're in first. Washington and Dallas are tied for second. Both two and both Washington two and five. Dallas two and six. Right underneath them is the Giants for one and seven. It's pretty close, nonetheless. And you know, the Giants still have to play the Eagles too, and they are playing them this weekend. So that's a they need to win. That's a must-win game for the Giants this Sunday. Yeah, and. We're not gonna win, so, so, <laughs> so That's you know, true. we're not gonna win. But, I, and I say that just because for whatever reason, whenever we play Philly at home, or no, we just two go, weeks, my bad. They're weeks. playing Washington this Sunday. That Washington's favored by three in that game. Yeah, that, that that 
I mean, I'm not. Su- I'm a little surprised, and I'm not surprised at the same time. And they I'm had a- an extra bye too, so they have that extra week of rest too. I- I'm just surprised, just because of the big question marks with their quarterback play themselves in Washington. Their uh, Kyle Allen hasn't looked very impressive to me. Didn't he go down too with a little bit of an injury a, well, a couple while back, a couple weeks back? Not uh, maybe. I I have no because they they put in um they put oh, in not- Alex Smith. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, if that's what you're saying. Yeah, they put yeah, him yeah, in for yeah, a couple yeah. of plays. But I think Kyle Allen's still playing. But with that, and I think our secondary can do a good enough job against Terry McLaurin. They really don't have much offensively. Uh, the defense might be an issue, though, just because their front seven's really good. Ryan Kerrigan, Chase Young. It's very promising front seven. So, And the fact that we lost, that we beat them 20-19. to 19, and Barely it was because, a win. And it was because Ron Rivera decided to go for two instead of to tie the game and go to overtime. They could have easily won that game, Washington. Right. So I, I'm surprised. I'm not so, well because they're home, so they're going to give them the the advantage in the spread. But I, I think this is this should be an even. If it were like a neutral site game, I think this would be an even spread. Like just because both teams are just bad in their own ways offensively, and both are good defensively. So it's like the same matchup. But the, I think the X factor is as bad as I. As bad as I've talked about Daniel Jones for like the past ten minutes, I still think he's better than Kyle Allen. So hundred percent, I would hope he's better, right? Because you know Kyle Allen's not a first round pick. But minus take that out anyway. But I think we have a good chance against Washington this weekend. Although I want them to lose because I want us to get a better pick. At this rate, at this no rate, just go winning. for the pick. There's no you're point one in seven. You're not point. making the you're playoffs. One in, you're one in seven. In Eagles my, are winning that division. In my head, the quarterback is already. Overstayed his, over. He's already done. Like, yeah, we should be thinking about another one at this rate. There's no point. I mean, what I did like from Joe Judge is that he has our team playing and fighting hard every week in and week out, and we're making it a struggle for all these opponents that are supposed to blow us out. Which I'm happy about. That's that's a good thing. That to is see, a good thing to see that even though we're only one and we're one in seven, that you're putting out a product, a team that's going to go out there and that's going to you know play in a close game the whole time. It's just I think we're we're just so close to just being able to beat get a lot of wins just get get these close wins. It, it, the difference is, as they say, good teams find ways to win, and we're not a good team yet. Because if we were a good team, we would have found ways to win against Philly. Evan Engram would have caught the ball if we were a good team. It, we would have won this week. We would have won that week. It, it's just I think that's just the difference. And I think once we get a new quarterback in the system that can just that doesn't throw the ball. Away like like da- like Daniel Jones does just recklessly all over and he doesn't see receivers. I think we will have a good chance in the next coming years because they said last night on the broadcast on ESPN. I think we have the fourth best rush defense and eleventh best pass. Right. So we're or defensively we are outstanding, better than I thought they were going to be. Yeah, honestly, so. surpassed expectations. Hour two here of the WRSU crew. Glad you can be with us, Jake Schmid and Dylan Allen, talking about the Giants and their season woes. Um, you know, I want to talk about today the trade deadline. You know, some moves happening. With the trade deadline, um, some news generally in the NFL, Dylan, um, you know, Andy Dalton landed on the COVID-19 list. Um, you know, he's he's going to miss week nine against the Steelers. 
They added him. They said that he likely be out for 14 days, so and probably an additional game or two. And they're going to turn to either Garrett Gilbert or Cooper Rush. You know, Ben DiNucci had a horrible, horrendous game against the Eagles on Sunday Night Football. Um, you know, Dalton had a concussion the week before too. What does this really make for Dallas and for them going forward? Well, you know what? I think what it does is it forces Jerry Jones' hand to reassign Dak Prescott to whatever the hell he wants. Because, I'm sorry, Ben DiNucci, you, like you just said, he played like absolute trash. And it, and against the Eagles defense, that's good. Like, the front seven's good, but the, the secondary isn't that great. It's, it's abysmal. And when you have guys like Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, and... And the rookie, C.D. Lamb, when you have those guys to throw to and Zeke in your backfield, honestly, as a quarterback, you really shouldn't struggle that much. It's just a game manager role. Now, I get it. The defense has their issues. But Carson Wentz was throwing picks left and right in the end zone. He was leaving them up for Dallas. He was giving Dallas opportunities to go down and score. That game was 15-9, and Ben DiNucci was at it on, what was it, Philly's like 30-yard line? They, they were in a position to go tie the game, and then he got strip-sacked. Besides that point, uh, how it goes for them, I just think I think this shows Jerry Jones that Andy Dalton can't do it, Ben DiNucci can't do it, and I think that Dak Prescott's going to get the contract that he's seeking from them just because you you look how bad their defense is. They need Dak to to compete in these games. They 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 need him to compete. Right in the Giants game, they win by three points. They score thirty seven, but they gave up thirty four in that game against the Falcons, which they should have lost. Because of you know that silly comeback that they that lucky comeback they had, they needed to score forty points to win that game. And the same thing with Cleveland; they gave up fifty to Cleveland, and they and they lost, and they scored thirty eight points. You you need. I think this is just going to show Jerry that they need Dak more than ever, and I think that's what it's going to show. But I don't know what you're thinking. But here's my my thinking right now: the Cowboys, that division is up for grabs as it ever will be. Um, you know. They're very close with the Eagles. They're about two games back. But I think that this it just indicates that you need to re-sign Dak. As you said, Like there is a sense of urgency, I think, now around Cowboys front, um, Cowboys fans and their, their fan base that, you know, we know what wonders Dak Prescott has with his legs, the gifts that he has as a passer. And it was a horrible injury against the Giants when he... He felt he hurt his um you know his lower body and we all know about he's out for the year but I think now you got to give him that money you know the contract I think that Jerry Jones is gonna have to uh, navigate that and it's gonna be a very interesting offseason to say the least with this happening um for Dallas because it's you know Andy Dalton he started in Cincinnati but now he's out he's probably out for two to three games and they have a you know they have a little bit of a difficult schedule coming up as well. They have the they're hosting the Steelers this Sunday. Then they have a bye week, but then the December is one of their worst months because they have the Ravens, they have the 49ers, they have the Eagles, and the 49ers are trying to claw their way back to that spot even though Garoppolo's injured, George Kittle, their tight end is going to be injured. That news coming out, you know, uh, earlier today. Um it's going to be very interesting to see what happens uh that that way. A couple other NFL news I kind of want to get to there was really a pair of like it was a minor last minute deals but the Dolphins got DeAndre Washington from the Chiefs for a sixth rounder in 2021 and then Isaiah Ford went to the Patriots for a Dolphins 2022 pick um Desmond King though yesterday went to the Titans 
So that's interesting to see. And then Avery Williamson, as you mentioned before, from the Jets, he was the Steelers. He's already going to help out that Steelers linebacking card, which consists of T.J. Watt and a lot of good talent they have there. Uh, the Seahawks got Carlos Dunlap uh, from the Bengals for their offensive line, B.J. Finney. But otherwise, it was really you know a lackluster uh, free agents uh, trade deadline. It wasn't we didn't really see a lot of marquee moves, but teams did go the extra mile, like the Dolphins did by picking up DeAndre Washington, and um, you know they got him. And they also got a pick in the 2022 draft. You know, the Dolphins are kind of thinking ahead of the game, and I like how they're doing that. Yeah, this year's this year's trade deadline was more boring than we're accustomed to. Right. Um, I think the Carlos Dunlap trade for the Seahawks is perfect because they, is. their pass rush is non-existent. The defense is a big issue. And having him fill in those holes where he can be a great run stopper and a, and a big pass rusher for them against, you know, you're going to need somebody to rush the quarterback against oh, yeah. Kyler Murray with not, with – uh, inf- infinite speed running around the edge. You're going to need somebody to create that pressure to get him running outside the pocket to, you know, force some throwaways or whatever. Um, and like you said, Avery Williamson from the Jets to the Steelers. You know, we for- he's an inside linebacker, but we're forgetting, don't forget, Je- Devin Bush, I think, tore his ACL. He if, did. If I'm not mistaken. He's out for the year. He's out for the year. So you basically just, you replace Devin Bush with Avery, Avery Avery Williamson for this year, and I don't know what his contract looks like, but if he's on a multi-year deal, just imagine next year they're going to have Devin Bush and they're going to have Avery Williamson as the linebackers, and then you're going to have T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree off the edge, along with Cam Hayward in the middle. That defense is just stacked, and Minka Fitzpatrick back there, as a safety, it's a stacked defense. I think that was a great move for them too because – with the absence of Devin Bush, they need a new inside linebacker, and if right, they want right. to make a big uh, playoff push, they're going to need him for sure. Um, as far as the Dolphins trades go, I'm not too familiar with the players. They kind of just seem like, I don't know, like practice squad, third, like third-string like third wide receivers to me. I don't know their potential, but I, I did hear some rumors today, and I'm a little shocked that the Giants didn't didn't trade Kevin Zeitler or, or Golden Tate because those were two players that a lot of fans speculated would be, would be traded by the deadline. Um I also heard rumors that Golden Tate was going to be traded to the Green Bay Packers for a fifth-round pick, which is more than what we expected. Um, but that didn't happen. And then you saw the news with Will Fuller. I was just going to ask you about that with yeah. Will Fuller because the Packers were linked to Will Fuller and the Texans leading up to today, this afternoon. They couldn't agree, though, on a draft pick compensation or the amount of money that Houston would want. Um, the Texans were rumored to be holding out for significant compensation in a Fuller deal you know, he's set to become a free agent at the end of the season. They're, you know, they have the Sean Watson. They don't have DeAndre Hopkins anymore. So Fuller is like kind of one of their top guys right now because DeAndre Hopkins, you know, with that trade with the Cardinals, uh, that was part of the David Johnson trade as well. And they got him from Arizona. But Green Bay's passing attack has been really reliant on Devontae Adams because Alan Lazard is silent with a core muscle injury indefinitely. But, you know, Devontae Adams has averaged 24 yards per contest. He hasn't caught a touchdown. A guy like Will Fuller, Dylan, you know, seven games played. He's got five touchdowns, um, 490 yards. He's averaging over 70 yards per game. He's having a much more productive season than Devontae Adams. So I'm a little uh, surprised that that trade didn't go through because that really would have helped Aaron Rodgers on the uh, offensive front. Yeah, and I heard it was an internal issue too, not even just with the two teams that couldn't come up with a deal. I heard that the Packers internally with people on their board they were they were kind of 50-50 on whether yeah, they, they should even target him. You know, a lot of people still think in that in that organization that the that they don't need a new wide receiver in Green Bay. That that's not worth it for them. So, 
I don't I I I think it I think that they should have pulled the trigger on Will Fuller or at least just, you know, maybe given him what they wanted because let's be honest, the the Packers they're in a push to win another Super Bowl. They have the talent, they have the roster for it. They got Rodgers, they have Devontae Adams who has been ridiculous this year, has so many touchdowns, a lot of yards, a lot of catches. He's one of the top receivers this year. And, and that was a big conversation even with the draft. Heavy receiver draft, a lot of lot of good receiver prospects coming out of this year's draft and they decide to go with Jordan Love instead of pick a, instead of picking a wide receiver. Imagine if they had picked T Higgins or something like that instead of that would have been a good Love. matchup. That would have been great for that them. It would have helped them up. out. It would have helped them out tremendously. But, um, you know, I, I, I think the Texans are in a full rebuild now at this point because they are. Ever since they traded Hopkins, they, 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 they look really bad. They look. I think they have the same record as the Giants, or they're close to it. I, I don't know what their record is. It might be one and six, one and seven. But they have not played well all year. They're one and six. You're one right. Six. Very the, close. The defense is a big issue for them. Um, and ever since they got rid of Hopkins, you know, Watson really hasn't had anyone to throw to that's reliable, that's the big guy, that can go up and grab any any ball you throw to him. So I think they're in full rebuild mode at this point, so maybe they were asking for too much from Green Bay because they want all the picks they can get. But in terms of from Green Bay's standpoint, if you, I feel like they play it too conservatively. And going back to the draft, they, they're so worked up about about creating this future quote unquote future they after are. Aaron Rodgers than the present. They're, they're they're like, okay, well Rodgers, we're gonna put you out there, you're gonna play. You might have two or three years left on you, but we're not gonna build a team around you now because we're worried about the future more than now, even though you were thirteen and three last year and you went to the NFC championship game. Instead of capitalizing on that, we're gonna worry about Jordan Love in the future. We're not gonna we're not gonna draft receivers because that's there's no point. It doesn't help the future. You know what I mean? It's just like I feel like that's a common theme in Green Bay. Yeah, I think it is, and let's talk about Green Bay for a second. As we like, you know, do a little NFL roundup here. The, you know, they lost to the Packers, the Vikings by six. That was, you know, Dalvin Cook went off. We talked about that earlier with uh, Chris. But Thursday night, they're at the 49ers, and the 49ers are coming into this one. They lost by ten to the Seahawks. But the 49ers, there is no Coleman. There's no Samuel. No Debo Samuel. No uh, Col- uh, Tevin Coleman. Garoppolo is also uh, on IR with George Kittle. Grapple with that high ankle sprain, kill suffered a fracture in his foot. So this is a Green Bay favored by about six right now, which is a little narrow for that. But this is a, a good Thursday match for Green Bay to get back into the saddle. Um, you know, defensively though, like I mean, offensively, Green Bay's got to come out slugging. Aaron Rodgers only has two picks that he's thrown on this season, which is good for him. Uh, against the Vikings, he threw for 291 yards and three touchdowns. Devontae Adams caught all three of those touchdowns. He doesn't really have – that's his only really option uh, offensively, you know, is Devontae Adams and then, you know, Robert Tanyan as well. Jay Sternberger, the tight end, he had 46 yards. But Tanyan and Devontae Adams are like their guys. And, of course, Jamal Williams, he's had to step up more in a receiving role as well as, you know, being their top running back right now. Um, you know, he had 27 yards for six catches. So he had six catches. He was targeted six times. It's a very, you know, the Packers really have an interesting schedule after 49ers. They have a little bit easier, though. They have the Jaguars coming up. Then they have the Colts, and a Col- a good Colts team that is and 5-2 right now. And then the Bears to close out this month of November on Sunday night. That Bears game is a probably one of their biggest games on the schedule, too. Yeah. Um, in terms of their schedule coming up, I think this 49ers game is going to be pretty easy for them. Um, 
The Niners don't really bring anything to the table no. offensively. Nick Mullins or whoever their starting quarterback is going to be, they don't have George Kittle, who Nick Mullins relies on a lot of the time when he comes in the play. They don't have him. They don't have Debo Samuel, who is a great speed receiver for them. They they only have Brandon Ayuk, Kendrick Bourne, and like you said, they have like three running backs out. So they're going to have to rely on Jamichael Hastley, who's Jamichael Hasty. So he he he's like a fourth string running back. So. And with all those injuries defensively, I just think Rodgers is going to have a field day with Devontae Adams because Richard Sherman's not playing either, so he's That's not, right. not going to be on Devontae Adams. I, I just don't see any way the Niners win that game. And then you said they play the, the Jaguars the next week? Yeah, no, the Colts the next week. Okay, the Colts, the Colts will be a tough game. That's an intriguing matchup. The Colts will be a tough game because they're a run defense. The Colts are a really good run defense, and it, it's going to be interesting to see how they try and incorporate Aaron Jones uh, in the Packers' run offense to see if they can get anything going. And if they can't, then, re- then you're probably going to see a 400-yard, 400, 4-touchdown 400 game from Aaron Rodgers or at least an attempt, something like that, to Devontae Adams. And Tanyan has looked pretty good this year so he far. Has. He, I think he's turned into a, a reliable target for Rodgers. And Rodgers loves his tight ends. Whenever they're you know whenever they're good enough, Jared, whether it's Jared Cook back in a couple years ago, yeah. Jimmy Graham, they, if he's had a good tight end, he'll, he'll throw to him a lot of the time. Uh, and Tanyan's looked pretty good. Um it, yeah, but, but the Jaguars game should be easy. The Jags, they're not very good. Uh, so that should be easy. And to talk about that Bears game a little bit, that would also be interesting because, like I said, it's a divisional game. Anything can happen That's in those true. divisional games. It's not Jags-Packers anymore. It's This is divisional football. It's it's a different environment. It's a good Bears team. If it, and, it's a, and it's a very good Bears team defensively. If the if the offensive line for the Bears can give Nick Foles some protection, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a close game because I know the Bears' defense know they know how to play against Aaron Rodgers. They play him twice a year, and they've been doing that since 2018. They've had five games. You know what I mean? Like how many times do you need to see it to almost kind of know what to do and what plays they're going to run. And so, they're always tricky too. Yeah, I think I think that game will be very interesting, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was really close, to be honest. Yeah, you talk about the you know tough divisions. NFC West is a very intriguing division. If the 49ers win, they'll you know they're five hundred right now, four and four. If they win, they'll be five and four. Seahawks are six and one. They're in first. The Cardinals are five and two. That's a very you know unexpected team there with Kyler Murray. Um, they beat Seattle in overtime before their bye two weeks ago in you know a phenomenal uh, you know finish with that field goal from Gonzalez, and he drained the, you know the field goal with two seconds left in the fourth quarter. This is an interesting uh, Cardinals team, and they're playing the Dolphins. They're only they're favored by about a field goal. Uh, that's the spread for that game. You know, two against Kyler Murray. You're gonna have Gaskin against Kenyon Drake. Gaskin's out. They oh, he's he out has a right, right. In three weeks. That that's a big loss. So they're gonna for have a, they're gonna have a, might have a field day. Um, they're gonna have to throw the ball more. Uh, the Dolphins. But uh, what do you really make of the NFC West right now? I tell you, they're one of the most entertaining divisions right now. That Seattle-Arizona game was one of the most entertaining football games I've ever watched. Just because of the the, the back-and-forth football that, that yeah. occurred and the, the missed field goals and, like, the turnovers. It just kept going back and forth. It was a really long football game. Both teams were playing, like, just very hard. It was just a great overall football game. And that is easily the, the, the best division in football, the NFC West. You could say whatever you want about the NFC South, uh, but that that's... Only two good teams there. The NFC West, all four teams are good. One healthy. Now, the Jimmy Garoppolo, George Kittle injury. Right. I feel like with that now, that narrative might change with the Niners. Their their record might be a lot worse than people thought. But in terms of Seattle, Arizona, and Los Angeles, they 
in my view, they all three of those teams could make the playoffs. Um, Russell Wilson and the and the Seahawks offensively have figured it out. His deep ball is one of the most accurate passes I've ever seen. Whenever, DK Metcalf too. DK Metcalf has, is an emerged star in the NFL. They got him for I don't even know what round he was in, but he wasn't first rounder. So I think he might have been second, third, something like that. But I feel like that was a steal for them just because his second rounder, sixty fourth pick. Yeah, it's a second year. He fits their year. scheme. He fits yeah, he their, does. He, it's he's just the deep ball guy. And then you still have Ty Lockett, who is still the same Ty Lockett from twenty thirteen. He hasn't skipped a beat. No, he hasn't. You have Chris Carson back there. There and, and let's not forget they're on paper they're a run offense. They're a run first team, and the fact that they have Russell Wilson just makes it ten times better. The def- the defense has a is a is the is their issue though, but the acquisition of Carlos Dunlap, we'll see how that works in the next coming weeks when he starts playing. We'll see how that works out, but I think that that'll help him. Um, the Cardinals have impressed me specifically Kyler Murray just because I didn't expect him to be playing to this level of you know football that he's playing. Right now he is, in my view, and one and like not top three, but maybe an MVP candidate. He's definitely up there in terms of best players so far right now this year and you know it just shows you how good DeAndre Hopkins is as a as a receiver as soon as he comes into this into this scheme they're having a field day throwing the ball and then they're also they're technically also a run offense as well at least that's what Cliff Kingsbury likes to call it and and the fact that he can run so fast around the edge is ridiculous too and the Rams they they struggled this past week against Miami but you know they've they've looked pretty good too. That game against the Bears, they, Nick Foles couldn't get the game, couldn't get the ball moving. He was he was trapped within his ten yard line, his own ten yard line, literally the whole game. That that Rams defense played very well, and I feel like the Rams offense played pretty well against the Bears defense, which is really really good. Um, but yeah, that that is definitely the best division in, in the NFL, and it, and it stinks because the Giants, the NFC East in particular, they have to play that division. Um, so it's going to be an 0-4 or, ordeal from those teams, but I guess we'll see. But I, I, I honestly, since they added, they added a new, um, uh, another playoff spot, right? They added that this yeah. year. Yeah. So I could honestly see three of those teams making the playoffs, uh, and the three teams would be the Rams, Seahawks, Cardinals. I could see that happening, honestly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm just seeing this now. The Titans told linebacker Vic Beasley Jr. he's going to be released tomorrow. Um. You know, he played 118 snaps, a sixth-year vet. You know, with the Falcons, he had eight and a half sacks last season. Um, he also wasn't a Pro Bowl, too. So there's, uh, you know, he's a Pro Bowler defensive guy, and they they were banking on, you know, helping having him help their pass rush, but he couldn't – he didn't have his, really a sack, and he wouldn't really pressure any opposing quarterback for Tennessee, and Tennessee has a winning record. They want to go back to the playoffs. Um, you know, they're 5-2 and two right now. And this week they host the Bears. That's going to be, you know, they might feel a little bit of that loss, but he didn't really live up to the expectations they had for Vic Beasley. Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm sure when they went to go sign him, they were saying, man, this is a steal. One-year yeah. deal for a pro bowler exactly. that's, that's been very successful in Atlanta. Um, I, I just don't know enough to talk about that situation, but it seems like he just hasn't played up to what they expected and they want to release him. So I don't know what that does for them financially. If that clears up some cap, I don't know. But... They lost the Bengals by 11 points last week. And that's why I'm very, when we were talking earlier with when Chris was on the show with Herbert and Burrow, that's why I was very encouraged because Tennessee is a very good football team. And I know their defense isn't spectacular, but no. It, it's no, but it's, you know, it's not bottom five. It, it's definitely a, de- a decent enough defense, right? Mike Vrabel's a defensive coach. So 
the fact that Joe Burrow goes out there and he plays like he did and he puts up 31 points, uh, it just shows a lot, it shows you a lot of promise in Burrow. And so then when you look at it this week, if the Bears, you said they play the Bears this week? Yeah, so the Titans, they have the Bears this week. Then next Thursday, here's where it gets interesting. November 12th, they ho- they're hosting the Colts, and then they have the Ravens the week after. Oh. And then after the Ravens, um, you know, the week after Thanksgiving, they're at the Colts. They have a the buffer in between them and the Colts, the only two games of the season, is the Ravens. That's a tough stretch yeah. for the Titans, you know. And this week, they're going to be playing – a really, you know, they're playing the Bears. They have a really tough November schedule. Yeah, and 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 it's a run team. Derrick Henry and and I know the Bears defense is is really really good. So in order for them to win this game, I feel like they need to be able to run the ball with Derrick Henry. Hundred percent. Get the ball because that's 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 their that's their offense right there. And if you can't run the ball, then you got to deal with Fuller and 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 Jackson in that in that Bears secondary and trying to throw to AJ Brown and and John Smith the tight end, whoever Corey Corey Davis. You don't want to get to that point where you have to rely on the pass game, um, just because I feel like as soon as you can't get the run game going, then it's just you're playing, you're playing from behind for the whole game. And Tennessee's defense, like I said, has a lot of holes. I wouldn't be surprised if Chicago was able to put up some points. So uh, maybe the acquisition of Desmond King will help this defense out tremendously. We'll have to see. But I, I think with the COVID rules, um, you can't come back. You can't when if you're traded to a team. I think with the new COVID rules, you can't play for this team until after a week because they they want to clear you. I don't know. I don't yeah. know why that's a thing though. Because if you're tested every day, I don't I don't see the like the big issue. But anyway, so he won't be playing this week. Is my point. He'll be playing next week, and if he can't play next week, then the week after. But um, I guess then what what this week's game against Tennessee and the Bears will tell us, at least for me, the question mark with Chicago was. We know that they have the def- the defense to be to be a playoff team. Right. If their offense can come out and play well against Tennessee and win, you know, go six and two, then then the the narrative around Chicago might con- might change a little bit and say, okay, listen, they have an offense now, and they have a defense. Could they make a run? I, I I'm interested to see because I think they have a good team. And if they and if they don't win, and then you know Nick Foles just looks terrible, and like you said, Trubisky, I think they're the same. That pretty much the same quarterbacks. There's no difference in skill, at least in my opinion. Then you go searching for a quarterback. So I don't. I don't know. Well, here's where it gets interesting when you look at the Titans. They have, you know, they did have that little COVID outbreak where they were uh, COVID nineteen outbreak where they were um, practicing when they shouldn't have been like organized practices. Um, you know, they were practicing like all of them, couple couple of them on a field. The Titans are, you know, Ryan Tannehill's thrown a couple picks, but he's he's looked good nonetheless. Um, the Titans, they also claimed, the uh, Patriots claimed their defensive tackle Isaiah Mack off the, you know, he was undrafted free agent they had as well. But the Titans are going to have a very interesting, you know, couple of weeks uh, with the Bears, the Colts, t- the Ravens, and the Colts again. But then they have their only easy game really is the Jaguars. That's December 13th. They have the Browns could very well be vying for a wild card or like that's playoff spot on December 6th and they're at the Titans that week. And the Titans, you know, they have a they have the after that they've got the Jaguars which should be a win, the Lions on December 20th and then the Packers and the Texans. They close it out with the Texans on January 3rd of next year. But they really only have just Jaguars, Brown, the Jaguars and the Lions and Texans are really their last easy games. They have a really and they lost to the Bengals too, which they should have won. Right, um, and so that discourages me a little bit because 
You're giving up 31 points. Now, I know Joe Burrow's he's looked great, but he has. Still, giving up thir- and you're you're a quote-unquote defensive team just because of your coach Vrabel who brings right. that defensive element. The fact that you gave up 30 points to Joe Burrow and and just didn't look very good, that that discourages me a little bit, but you know, you brought up the AFC, you brought up Cleveland, right? And so that gets me thinking about the AFC North. Yeah, uh, let's uh, transition over there. The AFC North is a very interesting state right now cuz the Steelers look like they're going to run away with that division. They're undefeated 7 and 0. They haven't lost yet. Um Yeah, they, they look, got the they Cowboys really this week. They're most likely going to win that one. But then, you know, next week they have the Bengals and we talk about division games, the division matchups. I feel like the Bengals would give them maybe a little bit of a scare at home. Yeah, so I could definitely see that, and especially since Joe Burrow has played very well. But the thing that concerns me is I think Pittsburgh's defense has the pass defense down. Like that's they do. Like that's a lock. The rush defense is an issue. They gave up they gave up two hundred and sixty five rushing yards this past week against Baltimore. Um, see, that's that's a problem, right? Two hundred and plus two hundred and sixty plus rushing yards. Big now, problem. I, I know Baltimore is a great team, but I'm just saying, like that overall is not a very good statistic. But what, when you look at when you look at Cincinnati, they're a past team. I know they have Joe Mixon, but if he doesn't play, then they have Giovanni Bernard, and he's more of a screen running back where he'll catch passes out of the backfield. So from that standpoint, I look at it as if if you know the pass defense is going to be there, I just don't think Cincinnati's defense is going to be able to stop Pittsburgh's offense because they have weapons up the wazoo. They have Juju. Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, they have Eric Ebron, who's looked pretty good too. Right. Um, James Conner in the backfield, and Big Ben, who's looked better than ever. He, he, you know, healthy shoulder. He's looked like he hasn't missed a beat. So, if you look at it from that standpoint, I think you're right. The Steelers are going to win this division. I just think the next coming games against, like, Baltimore and stuff, when they play Baltimore one more time, I think that they're going to win that one. I think it's going to be easy against Cleveland, and I think even though it's a divisional game, I think it's going to be a little easy for them against Cincinnati just because of the difference in, in talent on each team. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a good game from Burrow. But we talked about the NFC West before, and you know, you asked me like what I thought my what I thought the best division in football was. Right. I would say the AFC North is a close second because if you look at it, it's they're kind of in similar situations. They really are. The, the, the only difference is the 49ers with a healthy roster – are much better than the Bengals, right? So that divid, that's why I put them at one. But if you look at the AFC North, I could also see the th- the top three teams make a spot in the playoffs. You got the Steelers, Ravens, and Browns. If the Browns can manage to get a good record out of this year and be able to put themselves in a spot, I could definitely see three out of that division as well. And, you know, NFC East is only going to have one team this year, and it's going to be a pretty crappy team if you ask me. It doesn't even matter who's in it. The, the, Eagles, are- the Eagles are trash, Cowboys trash. Football, the Washington football team's trash, Giants trash. We all know that. So, anyway, so the AFC North. Uh, you know, I like to say that I'm a. I kind of root for the Steelers almost as if. Yeah. Because my cousin's a Steelers fan, so like if they're if they're okay. good, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll root for them. Yeah. I'll be like, all right, this is fun to watch, and they're a good team. They're so a I'll, fun team to watch. It's entertaining. Too. So I'm kind of happy for them and my cousin. So, in that case, I'm just like I'm kind of entertained now. I have a team to watch that doesn't lose every week, so that's kind of fun to. It's kind of nice to look forward to, but AFC North is a very interesting division, and I think a lot of people, if you if you're thinking about betting the Bengals game against the Steelers, I don't know what the spread is or the money, I don't know what any of that is, but no, probably release. Well, you know what? We'll probably talk about that next week on Crew on Tuesday. Yeah, honestly. So 
we'll see. Uh, and I just think the Steelers are a very good team this year. Um, I don't know if they'll finish. Do you think they'll finish 16-0? Let's be real. Do you think they'll finish undefeated, or do you think they'll lose some games along the road? Let's let's think about this. They're going to have a uh, an interesting schedule coming up. I'm going to just pull it up here. The Steelers, you know, they really have come to the spot of, uh, you know, they're undefeated right now. They're first. But they've got the Cowboys on Sunday this week. Then they have the Bengals. Bengals could go either way on November 15th. Third, Jaguars is a win November 22nd. Then you get the Ravens on Thanksgiving. At home. On Thanksgiving honestly, at honestly, home. I don't see Lamar Jackson winning Thanksgiving games. No. I, I, I see Big Ben. That's Big Ben. That's like elite company when you're like Big Ben winning those games. Yeah, I see him going going to midfield after the game, picking up that turkey leg, getting reported or uh, interviewed after that game. I right. can just see that happening. I think that's a lock. And then they play Washington right the week after. Washington's not good at Then they all. play the Bills, though, November 13th. That's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, that game, that's going to be – or December 13th, that's a Sunday night game. So yeah, they have a lot of good – they have a lot of primetime slots. Um, but then they have the Colts, the Bengals on the 21st, of, which is another uh, Monday night primetime game. Exactly, that's a Monday night game. And then you've got the Colts after on the 27th of December. So – Really, it could be the Colts, either of those Bengals matchups, and the Browns they finish this season with. That could very well be a game the Browns need to win to get into the playoffs uh, eventually. And you you know they're going to, like Baker Mayfield, they're going to be going, they're going to be really trying to test that Pittsburgh defense. I could see it, you know, I can maybe see them finish with like three losses, maybe, maybe not four. I think three are under. Yeah, so... Yeah, I'm going to go with a little bit of a shocker here. I don't know about you. I know we mentioned they play the Ravens and the Bills and even the Bengals upcoming, but I honestly think that the hardest opponent that they have is the Colts. Upcoming. Yeah, I would agree with that. Just because of their defense, their run defense is one of the so best. Good. Pass defense, one of the best. And they have one of the best offensive lines. So I feel like by then, Phillip Rivers is, is a good enough quarterback to keep you in games. And I just think that'll be the hardest test for Pittsburgh offensively, honestly, because the Bills' defense is inconsistent. They looked good last year, but like they're just inconsistent this year. And we saw what they did to Baltimore. They were able to create long drives down the field, do that, whatever. But the Colts defensively have been very consistent and have been the reason why they win a lot of these games. And I could see Big Ben throwing a pick, maybe fumbling the ball, pick uh, a scoop and scores, pick six. I could see that being the factor. Um for that game. So I think they'll beat the Bengals twice this year. And I think you're right. That Browns game at the last week of the year, that's going to be interesting because if they finish, let's say the Steelers finish, you know, 14 and 2, 15 and 1 or even undefeated, they're going into that week 15 and 0, let's say, right? If they sit their starters and the Browns are in a position to if they win they make it, if they lose they're they're out. But if the Pittsburgh Steelers sit their starters that week, then that might be a good week for uh, for for Cleveland there. But if they but like you said, if you like what you think, if they have three or more, three losses, four losses, then they're probably going to play that game because they're going to try and secure the one or two seed in the in the AFC. Yeah, so especially that'll if you got to contend with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Let's like speculate about you know you bring up the one and two seeds for the uh, for the uh, the postseason right now. The best record obviously is Pittsburgh right now seven and zero. The Chiefs are are second right there seven and one. So, and then the Bills are six and two. And the Titans are five and two, so I'm looking at Chiefs, Steelers, and Bills are going to be all in the mix for those one two seeds. You know the Bills schedule. Let's uh, let's think about the Bills schedule for a little bit. See if they could, you know, maybe uh, pull it off. The, you know, they're going to be playing the Seahawks this weekend. We know it's going to be a good game. They're at the Cardinals 
on November 15th. Then they have a bye week. Then they've got the Chargers, the 49ers, and the Steelers, then the Broncos and the Patriots and Dolphins. So there, there is a, a clear path, I see, for the Bills to get a top one or two seed. But they're really they're going to have a tough matchups against the Seahawks, against the Cardinals, um, the Chargers. But you know we could see what happens, and then you look at the the Chiefs, right? Seven and one, they're on a three game winning streak right now. Patrick Mahomes, defending Super Bowl champions, they've played um, unreal. They're really playing the Panthers this weekend. Then they're off. Then they play the Raiders, and then they play the Buccaneers on Sunday night on November 29th. That's going to be a really uh, interesting game as well. Yeah, I think it's going to be I th- I'm looking at the Bills schedule as well. I think it's very deceiving. They're 6 and 2, right? You would think that's a ah, great record. They're a good team. Right. If you look into the teams that they've played this year and the teams that they've won and lost to, I'm going to tell you their wins. Jets, Dolphins, Rams, Raiders, Jets again and the Patriots, right? Raiders inconsistent team. I feel like they, they every week they look like a new team. And the Rams, if I don't know if our listeners saw that game, but I remember late in that game there was a questionable pass interference call that gave the Bills another shot. It was on fourth down and they called PI and it gave the Rams an, or it gave the excuse me, gave the Bills a new set of downs, which then they punched in for a touchdown. But it should have been game over. They should have lost that game. And their two losses are against the Chiefs and the Titans. The Titans they lost by like thirty and the Chiefs they lost by like ten. So the two hardest games on their schedule, they've lost by double digits. That's not very promising to me. So then when you look at their schedule against Seattle, I think they're going to get trounced because I just think Seattle's offense is just too too hard to keep up with. Arizona, I think they're going to lose. Kyler Murray has looked good all year. He has. Herbert has looked great all year as well. That Chargers game's a toss-up, but the issue is if, if you know LA's defense can keep them in that game and not blow the lead, whatever the case may be, the Niners is going to be a win because, like I said, they don't they won't have George Kittle, they won't have Jimmy G, and I think that's an easy win. Nick Mullins isn't the greatest. The Steelers, that's a loss. The Steelers look really good this year. Broncos, that and that's a tough game too because Drew Locke is very inconsistent. He'll show up one week, he won't the next week. I don't know how that's going to go. So the bottom line is, my prediction: Steelers get the one seed, the Chiefs get the two, and I think the Bills get the three. And then I think this the Titans. A tight, well, actually, you know what? I think it might be a toss-up between Tennessee and Buffalo, and it might come down to the head-to-head matchup to see who gets the better seed. And if that were to happen, Tennessee would get the better seed because they beat them head-to-head. Um, and we can't forget about the Colts either. They're in second place five. This is going to be very interesting to see how this is going to play out. There's a lot of good teams in the AFC this year, a lot more than I thought there would be because the NFC is very, very, very talented. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. Um, but we will um, quickly just step aside for a short break. We will have rapid fire coming up. Keep it locked to WRCU FM New Brunswick and online at WRCU.org. WRSU Sports, the most exciting voice in Rutgers athletics. Don't believe us? Just ask. Hi, this is Pat Hobbs, athletic director here at Rutgers University, and you're listening to WRSU-FM New Brunswick, broadcast home of the Rutgers Athletic Scarlet Knights. Melton breaking free inside the 10, 5, he's in the end zone. Touchdown, Scarlet Knights. Mathis rises, flushes, right hand tomahawk, let's go. 
taking the snap is Levis. Pressure does come, and he gets tripped up at the 29-yard line. Told you. Hey there, this is Herb Sutton inviting you to listen to Sutton Country Weekend Mornings, 6 to 10 Saturday, 6 to 9 on Sunday. We play classic country music and the ones that will be classic. We sprinkle it with some bluegrass music. That, my friends, makes the right recipe to kickstart your weekend mornings. That's Southern Country, Saturday, 6 to 10 a.m., Sunday, 6 to 9 a.m. on WRSU 88.7 FM, Around the Dial, and WRSU.org, Around the World. Immediately following every Rutgers football and men's basketball game, be sure to call into WRSU for our signature post-game call-in show, Nightline, the only Rutgers post-game show led by you. The fans, keep that dial locked to WRSU after every football and men's basketball game. And when you hear the music, you know what to do. 732-932-8800, that's the number to call. Nightline, only on 88.7 WRSU-FM, New Brunswick. Hey, give me a beat. If you're looking for music that's, well, just off the beaten path, you should tune into the Offbeat. It's alternative, electric, and just playing out their songs unfit for most ears. But I'll make an exception for you. Slow my descent into madness and tune into the Offbeat. Thursdays from 4 to 6 p.m. Only on WRSU FM New Brunswick. Final couple, eight or so minutes here of the WRSU crew, Jake Schmid and Dylan Allen here. And we talked a lot about a lot of NFL news on Tuesday. So I'm just going to get jump right to the chase, cut right to the chase here, Dylan. The Buccaneers just activated uh, receiver Antonio Brown. He was from the suspended list today. Coach Bruce Arians said that he will have a role in Sunday night's game against the New Orleans Saints. Tom Brady has another receiver lined up alongside Mike Evans. Uh, to play in. Um, Bruce Arians says he won't anticipate 60 plays for Antonio Brown, but we'll see how it goes. They signed him last week to a one-year deal for a base salary of $750,000 with incentives, though, that could push that value to $2.5 million. He was suspended for eight games for multiple violations of the NFL personal conduct policy. What do we make of this? Because now the Buccaneers, Tom Brady and Brown, back together just like in New England for that short couple games. Even with the, for what Coach Arians is saying, even with the possible possibility of him having limited snaps this week, it's still, for the future at least, this is still big for them because Chris Godwin has been riddled with, in, or, yes, Chris Godwin, he has been riddled with injuries right. all year. He just injured his finger the other night and it was and it, like out the three, four weeks, whatever it is. This is perfect for Antonio Brown because now he fills in that role when he's caught up to speed with the playbook. And he becomes an everyday starter, every down starter. You know, he'll he'll know the playbook better, and he'll be and he'll fit into that role. But as far as this week, I'm expecting a minimal, a minimal effect from him, just because I'm sure he doesn't know the the offense entirely yet, and they really don't need him this week because I feel like they have enough weapons to deal without him for an extra week, and they can. I think I think they'll beat the Saints this week, but it's interesting because the last we saw him, it was what training camp. 
uh, yeah. the Raiders. Yeah, training And camp. ever since then, oh, well, no, actually. The Patriots. Patriots, right. They signed him, and he had a great game, that one game. And then after that, more news came out, and then they ended up cutting him. But in that one game with Brady, it looked like they'd been playing forever with in terms of chemistry. So when he, when he eventually steps into that offense, this should be a pretty scary offense to face up against. Uh, so... I I can't wait to see what he brings to the table just because I know he's he's a really good receiver and he hasn't been able to play in like two years pretty much a year and a half so I'm 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 excited to see what he'll eventually bring to the table. Yeah, yeah, definitely it will be interesting to see um really what manifests with Antonio Brown and how they're going to be uh playing this um the nfl has said that they want players and other news to wear masks on the sideline in locker rooms for COVID 19 uh protection on today they announced some additional rules aimed at preventing the spread of COVID 19 they want them to really mandate masks during post-game interactions between teams when they're on the field after um now they'll be required to wear masks during those exchange of handshake exchange with their opponents and they will also wear masks in the locker rooms and on the sideline uh during games the last 10 days, though, like the, I'll just rattle off some teams like the Raiders, the Giants, Willie Hernandez had COVID-19, the Packers, and the Baltimore Ravens have moved players to the reserve COVID-19 list due to positive tests. But they also have moved players there because they were deemed to be high-risk close contacts What do you, of people who tested positive for COVID-19. What do you really make of these new guidelines that the NFL is putting forward for COVID-19 protocols? I mean, I think it... As strict as it sounds, just because it's like you have to wear this, that, that you keep, right, like right. Like there's no opportunity for them to not have it on. As far as is that sounds strict, it has to happen. And I know, I don't know, but maybe a lot of players are like thinking, all right, that's a little obsessive because it's just you're you want us to wear it around the clock, and if we're out of breath, it's going to be hard to breathe. We have to put a we have to put a mask on and all that stuff. So I can understand it from there. But if they want it to be as as clean of a season as they can have. I think this has to happen um, just because, like, you can't affect what they do at home, what they do off the field, but you can affect what they do when they're there at work, when they're playing games. So, And the job is to keep everyone safe, the players, personnel, coaches, everyone that's involved with the team activities. So having them wear the masks all the time and, and eliminating that factor to the best of their ability, I think it, it has to happen, as, as obsessive as it seems, but I think it just has to happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know you're a big baseball guy, and you know a couple of uh, all the awards you know finalists were announced, and Jacob Degrom is going to be contending for his third consecutive uh, National League Cy Young award. Uh, Mookie Betts could become the second player to win the MVP award in each league after the Dodgers won the World Series. He's the uh, MVP finalist uh, in the NL. It's Degrom, Trevor Bauer, and Yu Darvish are the top finishers for the NL Cy Young award, and Freddie Freeman, Betts, and Manny Machado for the uh, NL MVP. Um, in that one, and then you know Freddie Freeman bad three forty one. There, uh, the AL MVP is between Jose Abreu, Jose Ramirez, and DJ LeMahieu. What do you make of uh, some of these uh, finalists for the awards so far? So I found it when I first saw this. I found it pretty surprising that they didn't include Tatis in the NL. Yeah, exactly. I thought I thought for sure he was a top three finalist. Hundred percent. I, I was not expecting to see Manny Machado there. Um, but as far as that goes, I think Freddie Freeman's going to win that award just because he batted 340 and because he's able to hit a lot of home runs and drive in a lot of runs. I feel like he's got that. Um, 
NL Cy Young, as badly as I want DeGrom to win just because I got to support him, he's a great pitcher, oh, yeah. I think I think they're going to give it to Bauer. I he think so, too. He had a great year. And he's, and he's like an electric source of that league. Like, he's like, he's turning into the face of the league in, in his own way just because of the amount of trolling he does for against the Astros and all that stuff. But I just think he'll, he'll win that. And then for the AL MVP, I want DJ LeMahieu to win it just because he's on the Yankees. And I would be, and I think he deserves it. Um, but I, I think I think just he is just a, a fantastic hitter, and he's definitely earned it this year. What were they? What were the uh, the AL Cy Young finalists? Did, what did you say they were? The AL Cy Young finalists. Um, let me find that. Um, huh. I think it was. Um, I forget. It doesn't really. Oh, here it is. It's uh, Hyun Jin Ryu, the religious pitcher. Um, Bieber, and then uh, uh, Kenta Maeda for right, the yeah. so Twins. I, I think Shane Bieber's got that yeah, one, Yeah, Shane too, Bieber's totally got that one. Because the ERA is just so low. He was the best player on the Twins by far. For the AL Rookie of the Year, the finalists are Houston Astros pitcher uh, Christian Javier, Sanofiador Kyle Lewis of the Mariners, and Luis Robert of the White Sox. In the NL Rookie of the Year, Phillies is Alec Baum, uh, Padres infielder Jake Cronenworth and Brewers reliever Devin Williams. What do you make of those finalists as well? So, from what I've seen about that Devin Williams kid from Milwaukee, he yeah. looked really good out of the bullpen for them. He had, I believe, he had a subpar, a sub, a sub one ERA this year in a lot of re- relief appearances. Yeah, he had point three three four thirty three. Yeah, no, he looked fifty three really, strikeouts too. He looked very very good this year, and it was unfortunate for them just because you know when they played. LA in that first series, what was it that the best of three? He wasn't available because he had gotten hurt, um, so that was unfortunate for them. But I think he has that. I would give it to him. But in terms of the AL Rookie of the Year, I think it's a toss up between, um, between what, what was it the kid from, the White Sox and the kid from the the Mariners? What were the uh, Luis Robert right? And what was the other one? Uh, Kyle Lewis and Christian Javier. Okay, so yeah, so I think it's up. I think it's between Kyle Lewis and Luis Robert. I don't. I'm not. Too, I don't know too much about the Astros pitcher, but I, I've heard things about Kyle Lewis from the Mariners that he had a very good year this year. And I know Luis Robert was hitting bombs all year, so I think it's up to them too. But I, I honestly don't know who who will win that. But I just I hope DJ wins MVP because that would be that would be crazy. Yeah, yeah, it would especially because uh, you're a Yankees fan, and you know Lemay, you had a very good season. Uh, with the Yankees, just not the finish you really wanted. He had a hit at league vest 364, but that'll do us here for crew on Tuesday. We have election coverage with you for the news team coming up in just a few moments all night here for election day. Keep it tuned to WRCU FM New Brunswick and WRCU.org online. Don't go anywhere. When might you be buzzed? When you suddenly love everything. You guys, I love this song.